Welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today we are joined by Jess Elmquist, the Chief Learning Officer and EVP of Human Capital at Lifetime, the Healthy Way of Life company. I will note that Jess has recently retired from this position, but over his tenure, he drew the team member base to over 40,000 nationwide in 152 locations. With a graduate degree in organizational psychology and change leadership from Columbia, Jess is also an expert voice in understanding change management and culture development. He's been featured in both CLO and Forefront magazines. I hope you enjoy the episode, and as always, if you can take some time and leave us a review, it is greatly appreciated. All right, Jess, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Excited to talk to both of you. Absolutely. So as an easy way of getting started, if you wouldn't mind telling our audience uh, about you and what you've been doing over the course of your career and where you're working now. Yeah, so um, I'll start backwards, but I'm currently the Chief Learning Officer and Executive Vice President of HR at Lifetime, the Healthy Way of Life company here in Minneapolis, based in Minneapolis, uh, about 154 locations across North America. And um, pre-pandemic, almost 40,000 team members, um, and we're growing back towards that very quickly. Uh, and I've had the privilege of working here and helping build this organization with an amazing group of people. Um, primarily, most of my career has been at Lifetime, 20 years, and I had the benefit of being a part of the startup um, right after the company uh, really started to gain momentum and was on the was on the business side in operations for several years. So I have that deep appreciation for operations, but also moved into my area of passion, which is working with people. Um, previous to that, I was actually in public education. And all of my undergrad work is in education, leadership development, curriculum. And what I found is that really actually segued into business really well, because as you can imagine, you know, learning how to be a, I was in junior high education. So I taught economics uh, to ninth graders, 15 year olds. So as you can imagine, being able to manage a classroom, manage content, hit a goal, um, I found out that those are a lot of things that business people did. So when I actually segued in and moved into business, I found that my education degree really played well to the needs of business, but also played well to my strengths um, and maybe even gave me an advantage with the idea of understanding psychology and understanding people. And, uh, and really, that's where I gravitated to. So majority of my career has been in HR and a majority of my career has been at Lifetime, which is a fairly strange thing in today's world where people are spending less time at one company and moving a lot. It's also gave, given me a really interesting and deep perspective on cultures and how they move uh, to and fro. Um, as far as uh, education, I uh, went to uh, Bethel University here in Minneapolis. Uh, for my undergrad, and I graduated from Columbia University in New York City uh, with a organizational psychology degree. Um, and so, uh, those are the those are the areas of passion that I have. Great, and and I know that we wanted to start with the pandemic, but I, I have to ask: having the operations background and then going into HR, how how did you feel that that set you up for success? What were the things that you took away from there and, and applied to HR? Um, so uh, that's a great question. I would say the first thing is empathy. Um, you really appreciate, uh, you know, kind of the other side of the fence. Um, and so it didn't allow me to create a border where a border didn't need to exist. Yeah. And so it allowed me to build relational energy because not only did I appreciate the pressure, the dynamics, um, and the just intensity of building and driving a business forward. Um, I also uh, knew the language and appreciated and valued uh, the perspectives. And so with that, all of a sudden now there's a common language and there's this uh, allyship in some senses that, uh, that, that I was able to gain and maintain uh, long-term. So I think mm -hmm. those are the big things uh, that I took, took along uh, with me. Yeah. And as we've interviewed guests throughout you know the past year or so on the podcast, it's always interesting to see um, very high-level executive leaders within HR, how they just kind of understand the other sides of the business as well. And uh, obviously that's played into to your career as well. So you now shifting gears to the pandemic, 
we're almost out of it. Hopefully cross our fingers, but you guys in the fitness industry, you know, clearly took a hard hit. And I'm very curious to understand what that was like within your role. And then what did you guys do daring? And then now kind of returning what you're doing. Yeah, that's certainly true. Uh, the health club industry and, you know, we consider ourselves a healthy way of life resort destination, but yet smack dab in the middle of that. Um, there are certainly a lot of businesses and a lot of individuals that have been hurt and impacted significantly because of the pandemic. So we don't stand alone by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but actually having our business disrupted for some time last year, obviously, as you can imagine, was not only financially and operationally catastrophic for our team members, um, but it was also really impactful to our business itself. And um, and so when we look at it, I, I think you're right. I think we're moving out of it. And our business overall is still being controlled and impacted by um, mandates that are critical to keeping people safe and healthy in different markets across the country. Some are lifting a little faster than others, uh, but coming out of it, we do feel the tailwind which is really nice because we've had pretty stiff headwinds uh, over the last year. You know, what I would say is um, there are rare opportunities for businesses that have grown year over year like lifetime. We've never had a year where we haven't added to the top and bottom line of this organization. And uh, so to have a year where we had a moment to actually reflect and contemplate, we had to do two things. The first thing is we need to make sure that our business was sustainable, that we were able to bring people through the storm. We talked about a metaphor a lot at Lifetime around we're on a ship uh, together and we're in the storm and we're going to come out of this storm together. And that was a message that we communicated not only internally to our leadership team, but we uh, we communicated to our entire team member team. We are on the ship together. And, uh, and so for us, it was that mentality of, who are we as an organization? What are we all about from a time, talent, and treasure? And what are we willing to really commit to during this time where we're going to be asked to commit to significance, uh, you know, significant things? The other part of it, though, was it was a time for us to say, in the midst of the daily grind of just trying to figure out what market is doing what, what city is doing what, what state is mandating what, we also had a time to sit and say, how do we want to be and who do we want to be coming back out of this? So we use it as an opportunity to rebuild, rethink, uh, and remodel the mentality of what we're all about as an organization. So what I would say is Lifetime had the incredible benefit of being a very strong company economically. Um, we had a really, uh, I, I'll give a compliment to the executive and leadership team that we had, an amazing, resilient group of people that I've never seen more complex problems and multi-level problems in a business in my life. But to watch how people took their problem-solving skills and turned them on their ears to look at something in a different way, problem-solve it, and then come together in a line around it was really an amazing experience. I never want to go through it again. Uh, but it's been an amazing experience to watch the internal team and the strength of our team. So we have a great, strong company. We have an incredible leadership and a team member population that stood with us. And then on the other side of it, we have this brand. Um, and we are incredibly proud of our brand in a very humble way. But this brand that people were saying, Lifetime, we're here for you. We're here with you. We're not going to cancel our membership. We're going to go on hold. And when everything's back and safe, we're coming back. And so coming out now, we have a momentum with our members and our team members. They're like, we're ready. Whenever you're ready, we're ready. Or whenever we're ready, we're going to be back to you. So the pandemic, um, really two big lessons. One, you got to figure out how to be resilient. And hopefully you're solvent as a company and you can weather this. And there are many companies in our industry that have not weathered it. And it's unfortunate because it's never, never fun to see uh, businesses fail uh, outside of their own control. Um, on the other side, though, to be able to look at who we are and come out of it with a different intent and maybe a, a different perspective is a pretty powerful uh, thing as well. So that's the general uh, kind of thought around uh, the pandemic. And there's some specific things that we did uh, we can talk about, but I'll pause for a second and uh, see if there's any thoughts that you have. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like instead of sitting back and licking your wounds, you guys took an opportunity 
in that slowdown to, to make some things better or learn from, you know, past mistakes and, and then figure out moving forward, how do you be uh, more agile in case That's things right. like this happen? Um, and, and I can totally relate to the, uh, the putting in the membership on pause and, and I could not wait to get back. Uh, it's kind of a, a customer stress test too, right? When that, those sort of things happen, it really proves the value that you guys bring um, I mean, like I said, we couldn't wait to get back, get our kids back to, uh, you know, dropping them off for a couple hours a day. So definitely understand that, that aspect of it. But I, I, I am curious when things first started and you guys had to probably make some tough calls, I imagine, for sure. um, whether it's calls that you made or forced because of mandates, but you had to put some people maybe on the shelf. Uh, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but you know, um, put them on leave for a little bit. How did you communicate that? And then what did you guys do to maintain the strong culture through that? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's exactly the the right spot to to launch into kind of what what did we do and how did we come out of that with you know a strong team member population that was mentally ready to come back and it was. And as you can imagine, you know, our large format facilities that are 100,000 plus square feet with water, locker rooms, a lot of moving pieces, spas, cafes with, you know, perishable goods uh, across the board. These are not big engines that you can shut down and just easily reopen. It's not like you just flip the lights on and turn on the cash register. Um, this was a monumental piece. So what we did is we hyper-focused when the pandemic hit, we saw it surging into the States through New York, Pennsylvania, and we were imp impacted there. We knew very, very quickly that this was going to be a little bit more of a long sustainable uh, piece. And uh, just like many companies across the country, we didn't end up having to furlough team members. But what we found out was this. Uh, the first thing we did is that when we did that, our CEO, myself, and our COO came out with a public video sent out to the entire team member population with the metaphor of the ship. We are in a storm and we're going to come out together. We're going to tell you that right now. And then to make sure you understand that, we're going to have to do some hard decisions about furloughing and things like that. We were transparent. The other piece, though, is that we also told people we are going to make sure that if you're benefited, we're going to maintain your benefits. Uh, if uh, if you, you're supposed to have worked over these last two weeks, we're going to pay you. Uh, so you're not going to just be left in the moment high and dry. So we did it through our words and our actions immediately. That was, I think, a critical thing as I look back in retrospect is the immediacy because we had no idea how long it was going to last. How, how big of a war chest do you need? We just don't know. But what we knew is we knew what we were going to do with our team members. We knew that we were going to do the best we could to treat them right and to make sure that the ship was sustainable and could keep, keep afloat. And so what I would tell you is there are really probably four components that helped us get through the, the pandemic. One is communication, constant and continuous communication to the point where I started a podcast called Open and Awake uh, that was outside of Lifetime's intranet because we couldn't communicate with our furloughed team members through our normal uh, uh, physical channels based on employment issues and things like that. So I started a podcast so I could keep communicating to our team members um, and, uh, and have continued that because it's really gained a ton of momentum and popularity. And so we did a lot of really interesting things. We shot a ton of videos. We shot like 125 videos from team members and what they're doing to our CEO, just making sure people knew and could see us and hear us because we heard constantly your videos are helping us sustain and remember what Lifetime is all about. So communication was critical. We put our people first, truly in mind and in, uh, in spirit and in action. Um, we leaned on the culture that we had built. So we continued to hearken back to mission. We continued to hearken back to who we are and what we're going to do to sustain. The fact that we are performance-based, we reminded our team members and ourselves every day that we will make it through. And then the power of the brand. You know, we continue to look and see, like you're talking about, Mike, you know, I just couldn't wait to get back. I knew why I was at Lifetime. And it wasn't just because it was convenient. It's a part of my life. And that's the same for our members. Yeah, our team members, excuse me, because our team members, they love being a part of Lifetime and the brand. They know that they're a part of that brand and they build the brand more than I build the brand every single day. 
So I think those are four elements that we used as cornerstones to build the structure to support our team members. And then we took team member satisfaction um, uh, surveys during the pandemic. Um, and we actually saw our, uh, our team member satisfaction increase. And it was the communication. It was the, it was the support. We had our bumps. We had our bruises. Reopening was difficult at times. And sometimes we had three or four days to open a club. Yeah. That was really hard. And safety, right? Making sure our team members felt safe. That's been a real uh, uh, battle, uh, making sure that our members are doing what they need to do and all of those things. We've made it through, though, generally really, really well with a lot of hard work and persistence. Yeah. Well, that's And that's great to hear. Um, Jess, you have a question? Yeah. So regarding the safety piece, Jess, I'm interested. Um, were there things that you all learned during that period and with the transition to opening the clubs back up that were almost kind of like aha moments? Like, why weren't we doing this before? You know, not not indicating or alluding to the fact that Lifetime didn't always have the safety of their members, you know, at the forefront of, yeah. you know, importance for them. But were there things just from, you know, you know, keeping things clean and things of that nature that, you know, now we're in place um, and we'll probably stay in place even when we go back to our new, new normal. Yeah, certainly we've all incorporated new language into our lexicon, have we not? You know, everything from the six foot rule to, you know, enhanced cleaning procedures and and whatnot. So uh, social distancing, you know, I would say that there are, uh, we, we built and wrote a over 400 page enhanced cleaning protocol for our COVID and pandemic procedures for our clubs. New, brand new, um, and uh, research-based procedures. And what I would say is, um, as a whole, to your point, uh, Lifetime prides itself on like new condition. We promise our member that we're always going to have a clean facility. I certainly think we've learned actually some efficiencies. We've learned how to do more with a little bit of less but, but actually heightened the cleanliness and safety. Um, we also, though, have certainly, I think in some cases, realized that we can actually make sure that our team member is even more safe than they've ever been before. So we know that some of the things are going to go away. Masks will eventually go away. Some of the plastic barriers that we do not like because we want to be face-to-face with our member, those will come down and go away in, in, by and large. But there are going to be some things, I think, that are going to sustain out of that 400-plus page document that everyone has said, hey, this works. It fits within our matrix and our SOP. And uh, so, yes, so certainly. And then some of the, even the new tools, right? Chemicals and cleaning equipment and things like that, that we've realized these are really cutting edge and we're going to continue to use this. So, yeah, I'll, I'll just have quickly have to yeah, go ahead. Know, put a cap on it here, but yeah. I just have to say that as a, as a lifetime member um, in the past, that that was one of the many things that made me love the club is just that, I mean, the feeling that you have the moment that you walk in the door is a feeling of, well, I'm, I'm having a hard time putting words to it right now at the end of the day, but just the, the cleanliness, the environment, the friendliness. I mean, there's a whole lot of other examples that I could add to it. Um, so I definitely didn't want want you to walk away from this thinking that I didn't think that those things were in place yeah, before, sure. but I was curious how how that had been handled yeah. going forward. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. That that uh, the way that you talked about our club makes warms my heart, though, because as a member to viscerally be able to just express those things, uh, that is the brand. And uh, so I'm I'm happy to hear that. And and certainly we should learn things from these new enhanced cleaning procedures. And we certainly have learned. Even us who prided ourselves in cleanliness learn things through the pandemic on how we can keep things even safe, more more safe, especially when we're talking about microscopic things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's interesting, and I'm excited to talk about how you guys created the the culture. But even in in your response there to Jesse's question, where you, you said "light new," that sounded like something that you guys talk about internally. Is that kind of like a, a statement, right? We want yep. to be light new, and that's you know, I I, I find that fascinating when I hear that because it's it's those little things that cultures kind of rally around. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, you know, fun, funny about the like new condition, that's very much of kind of just a functional statement, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not super sexy or anything like that. 
But for us, if you talk to any general manager, talk to me about like new condition, they will tell you what it means, where, how they measure it, what they look, what it looks like, what it smells like, what it feels like. And, um, and it's a table stake. Mm-hmm. So it's something we train and certify to, but it is a table stake, like not a GM in our culture. General managers run our clubs, not a general manager or facility ops manager will uh, not know what that means. And that's what they work toward every day. It's pretty, yeah. it's pretty amazing when something becomes embedded in the culture. It's like breathing. It's you, you just don't even think about it. It's like the air mm-hmm. and we expect the air to be there. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that, that was when you, like I said, when you said it, that's, that's kind of how I took it, that it was, it was a non-negotiable. Yeah. So um, really quick, I, I do want to ask about within, within the communication strategy, the transparency, you did the videos, you did the podcast, which is very refreshing to hear outside of, you know, emails going out once a day, updating people. Had you, had you always had that type of communication strategy where you did videos or did you feel like in this moment that was the best way to communicate with your furloughed employees or current employees? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, Lifetime has its own studio um, because we do so much production as far as exercise and fitness and nutrition and those types of things. So we had the facilities um, and we use the facilities more towards you uh, for Lifetime University um, and for like uh, training videos and service videos for personal training. But as a whole, we had not used video um, as consistently as we found out that we could and should as we did in the pandemic with other things, right? Messages from our executive team, uh, news on HR, uh, you know, my senior vice president of HR would get on there on a regular basis, giving them updates around office openings or closures, uh, benefits, how benefits could work, where they needed to go, what they needed to do. And then we'd have an easy to easy to find um, downloadable PDF that help people have a little checklist so they could listen to the video, go through the checklist and know what exactly they need to do. It was a new skill. It was a new muscle we were building. Yeah. And we found that to be something now that our team members expect and really enjoy yeah. because they're connected because you get to see the affect because, you know, you lose so much with a with an email, you cannot express the emotion or the care or the thoughtfulness behind whatever it is you're asking. Although we still rely on email, um, we're relying less on that and we're going to continue to use some of the other new tools and functions that uh, helped us be successful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So as we move to kind of getting back to normal, you know, I imagine I'm not in the retail space or the health club space, but when you're when you are in a building interacting with a lot of people, there has to be some angst amongst employees, right? To be in those environments, mental wellness, mental health is, uh, you know, a top priority of a lot of organizations, you know, and speaking with you earlier, that's, you know, no different for you guys. Can you talk about how you're um, addressing that as people return? And then just in general, you know, maybe pre-pandemic, how you guys um, focused on mental well-being? Yeah, I think when we think about some of the benefits that Lifetime had walking into the pandemic is um, our founder and CEO uh, and a few of us had been talking for some time around that as a team member, you get to be a member of the club. And so you get to use the club and work towards a healthy way of life. You can do that, you know, from a physical standpoint. Nutritionally, you can do it. Um, But we really were talking about the gap that we had in mindset. And how do we support, especially our team members, from a mindset standpoint? So we started concepting out what that would look like, and we created this idea called Lifetime Mind. And what we did is we built a program. We hired outside resources to come in and help us build a uh, performance coaching program built on cognitive behavioral therapy around shifting your mind shifts your life. And, um, and in what we wanted to do is we really wanted to work on helping our leaders and our team members, benefited team members, um, giving them the permission to destigmatize and normalize the conversation around mental health, that we all want to work toward our mental health as much as we're working toward our physical health. And those pieces are critically uh, aligned and they're connected, right? They're symbiotic to each other. And so we built and launched that program about a year or so before um, the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, uh, so our team members have access 
to a performance coach that's a full-time team member, coaches that are perform that full-time team members, and they can go through a, a process in a in a series of, of, of coaching conversations with them on making sure that they're optimizing their performance. So they can come in with, with something as simple as I need to learn how to actually speak to my uh, direct report in a more uh, clear way so that I can advocate for self and my team. I just, I get all, you know, fuzzy in my brain and I don't know how to talk to them. Can you give me some of the tools and help me understand what's going on with me that I can't verbalize to my leader? To larger issues of anxiety um, and, and anxiety impacting them in the workplace, not being able to follow through, uh, being frozen in time, uh, not being able to think clearly when the pressure is on because anxiety, that underwriting pressure that they were feeling was overcoming their cognitive ability. And our goal, we were hoping, you know, we really hope that we could get 3% of our population to, to take a hold of that. It took us less than a year to be over 20% penetration. So what we found is, is that our team members not only started to do it because they've been longing for it, they were willing to talk about it and then express their excitement about the advancements that they'd made to others and other people joined in. So when the pandemic hit, we, we reoriented the coaching group to make sure that we were in not a maintenance mode, but in a more of a triage mode to be able to support and help. So we extrapolated and allowed anyone that was on the team, they needed a coach, they could actually get a coach. And so we were bell to bell over the last 11 months working with our team members and giving them tools. And one of the greatest things that I think I've ever seen is not only are leaders publicly willing to go and talk to their peers and encourage them to go and seek the same support from their performance coach, but also leaders encouraging their downline to do it. So now they had common language, they had a common pathway, and they had common new tools that allowed them to be even more efficient. But you know what we heard more than anything? It wasn't efficiency. It wasn't more success. What we heard was we're happier. Yeah. And when we saw that happening, we doubled down and we said, you know what, Lifetime Mind is a program, not only that we can do here, but it's a program we can actually help other organizations build as well. But that destigmatizing de uh, mental health um, and that conversation, that is going to be, I think, a sustainable line. Uh, you know, we go from covert to uh, to overt, right? So this mental health thing has been under the surface for so long in businesses and in life. I think what the pandemic has done is it's brought it to the surface above on the top of the table. And I don't think it's going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so what that does, it allows us in human capital and human resources to say, we need to advocate in a different way than we ever have before and say, this is a critical function of HR is the mental health of our team member, not just throwing an EAP at it when there's a crisis, but literally having a sustained program. Because what we do know is that mindset drives where we go and who we are. So mindset is a choice. And then you work the tools to get where you need to be. And then mindset takes you off. And that's going to be the difference. People coming out of the pandemic, especially companies, if the mindset's right and people are healthy mentally, sky's the limit. Okay. And so we believe that there is an advantage there to every organization. And Lifetime is certainly one that's taken advantage of it and supported their team members through uh, the pandemic. Right. So uh, what I love, I mean, I love the whole everything that you guys are doing. But one of the things that I really want people to hear in what you just said, you guys rolled that out hoping that 3% would use it. I think we get way too caught up in the fact that like, if we're going to work hard on a program, we need everybody to use it. And if yeah, they don't, right. then it doesn't matter. And 3% is all you guys care about is like that. That is success to us. We're helping 3% of our employee base and it ended up being way more and probably right. will continue. But I loved when you said that because um, it, it just goes to show, do the right thing for your employees. Yeah. Not everybody's going to take advantage of it, yeah. but you know, set your goals. I don't know if that was a low goal for you guys, but um, it seems low when you hear 3%. Yeah, it was a benchmark off of a couple of other metrics from a mental health standpoint. Okay. So it was a benchmark that we thought um, uh, was, was not reasonable, but we thought, well, we've never done this before. Let's see. But I will tell you, Mike, you just said something that our, actually our founder and CEO said. Uh, he said, you know what? 
this mental health thing that I'm talking about and scheming and dreaming up uh, with the team, um, it whether whether it works statistically or not, uh, I'm not as worried about it. It's just the right thing to do. Yeah, now, that's literally where his works. It's the right thing to do, and so we're going to do it. And what we found is is that doing the right thing, um, especially when it's programmatic like this, often will you'll see the return uh, by being reciprocated and used in a real efficient and powerful way uh, with the people that need it the most. Mm-hmm. Jess, can you talk a little bit more about the communication strategy around that? Because you mentioned EAPs and, you know, there's a stat out there that like EAPs are the most underutilized benefit that any employer offers. And as an HR professional for 18 plus years, I can speak to that. And I I still don't quite have my finger on why they're so underutilized. I'm not sure if it's we do a really poor job at communicating all of the components that are rolled up under an EAP. And some people think that they're just for this or they're just for that. And, or maybe there's just this level of kind of anxiety of calling this 1-800 number and not really sure who's going to answer the phone, what questions are going to ask you, what that process feels like. And so people just don't use it at all. So can you talk about the communication strategy and how you got people comfortable working with this, um, you know, the coaches and such. Yeah. The mind program. Um, you know, the first thing I'd say about EAP, EAP has a place. Um, and, uh, so what we know is EAP is often used in crisis. We've actually utilized it the last couple of days with some of the things that have happened nationally. We have a club right in Boulder. And so we made sure that our team had the support they needed. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a place and a role for EAP. I do think that some companies check the box by saying they have an EAP. You know, hey, do you have mental health stuff? Yep, yep, we have an EAP check. And then that's it. So then it really becomes intent. What are, what are we looking to accomplish with our mental health portfolio inside of an organization? And so I think the other piece, though, to adjust is um, think, about, think about the lifetime mind or the mind program. It fills this gap. It fills the gap between I'm okay and I need help. So that's a big gap, right? We live in that kind of uh, gray twilight oftentimes of I'm not quite okay, but I'm not in crisis. And so what we're trying to do with the MIND program is catch people before they have a meltdown. That's kind of where EAP has been living and sitting, and that's okay. Um, But we're in that middle spot, and what we're finding is that's when people have the cognitive ability to be able to say, I'm not okay. I'm not in crisis, though, but I think I need a coach. I don't need a counselor. I don't need a psychologist. I don't need meds. I don't know. I don't need any of that. What I do, though, is I know I need help outside of my own ruminations and my own uh, stinking thinking or trapped cyclical thinking inside my mind. So what we've really tried to do is hone our message in there. And then inside of that, when you find the champions, I was mentioning it earlier, when you start having leaders that are not only willing to go into the program, but they go through the program and have such a radical change in their performance in who they are, not only professionally, but personally. And then they get on a national call and say, I'm letting you know, my name is Jess and I'm in the mind program. And this is what I was feeling. I had anxiety. I had a hard time uh, focused during the day. And here's what the mind program helped me do. I'm telling you that just tipped the scale and it gave people permission to say, Oh, if Jess can do it, then I can do it too. So it became a grassroots word of mouth because the program is so powerful. The IP behind what we're doing is really quite special. And so that's the piece that I think that's different is we're right in between I'm okay and I need help. We're in that middle place. And that middle place is a really broad array of people that aren't utilizing other tools and systems uh, to get the support they need. Yeah. So uh, are you guys able to do the mind program because of resources you have internally being, or, or is that an outside company that you guys leverage? I'm thinking of a manufacturer listening to this saying, well, you know, they have coaches their, their lifetime. Did you guys, is it internal resources or are these out external? They, they aren't, you know, when we, uh, um, they are internal resources now. One of the other really cool pieces to the MIND program that, again, we can we can support organizations to help build this uh, with them is we, we hired people to be full-time coaches for us. They are not sitting in a call center. Mm-hmm. They're not. So they're literally a part of our culture. And so I think that is probably helpful, but they were not here. 
Um, and we have some amazing coaches, a lot of people who are life coaches, they've gone through executive coaching um, and whatnot. These, the, our coaches are actually have more of a mental health background. Um, they're not doing counseling, but they definitely have that skill set, that expertise that gives them that little bit of that cutting edge uh, to what they're doing. Interesting. So what I would say to you, Mike, that real answer to your question is any company can do it if they have the will. Mm-hmm. And they have the belief that mental health is important and they want to promote that. And certainly having a CEO and an executive team that said, yes, we're going to support it in time, talent and treasure is a critical aspect of that. I don't know that it always grows and is successful coming out of the HR executive's uh, office. I right. think you have to have that, adv- uh, that advocacy um, at the senior level. Um, but there's some compelling evidence that are helping CEOs know that the the uh, the amount of time and dollars it costs comparatively to the outcome, it's it's amazing. So yeah. it's the right thing to do, and it pays for itself, yeah. and then some. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then sign me up, right? Exactly. It's like, yeah, it's, no, it's a no-brainer. No we needed Absolutely. we needed to do a little bit of that work. We didn't know for sure if that was going to be the case. We yeah. have seen it to be the case over and over again because we have over two years of data now. We know it works and it's really changing people's lives. You know, it's empowering people in a way that they've never been empowered before to really have command of how they think. And we know that that's a critical part Mm -hmm. um, of people's ability to manage their life. That's great. Awesome. Awesome story. Very, very, I mean, I could talk about that more. I do want to go to uh, kind of just the culture. And I think through the conversation, I feel like I know why your culture now is, is so good. Just, you know, as we progress through this and the things that you're doing from, you know, the CEO down to the employees. But I, I am curious, um, as, as life lifetime goes into becoming a lifestyle brand, was that the mission from the beginning or was that something that changed, you know, 10 years after lifetime started and, and how did you create that culture shift um, to get to where you are today, I, I know there's always room for improvement, but based on you know everything we've talked about today, it seems like, I mean, you guys are in a great place. How did you get there? Yeah, uh, that's the that's the multi-billion dollar question, uh, Mike. And um, I would say that just like any organization, especially a startup like us, um, and uh, there's some of those things you do just because it just in your heart to do. And then you finally are able to name it 10 years later and realize, oh, that is actually a principle or it is a philosophy that helped us become who we are. So certainly we had that startup energy and that passion. Our founder had that, uh, Brahmakati, had that vision from the beginning without question. He knew that he wanted to create an environment and built a mission around that. So our mission over the last 30 years has been to be a entertaining, educational, friendly and inviting, functional and innovative experience of uncompromising quality that meets the health and fitness needs of the entire family. All of our team members know that. It's long, right? It's a long mission, but we know those things. We are entertaining. We are educational. We are friendly. We are inviting. And then we build our entire entity around it. So the mission is, there's really a kind of a four-step dance here. You have to start as an organization. This is organizational psychology, right? It's You have to start with the transformational factors of who you are. So the first thing is, what are your external environments and what problem are you trying to solve? Then at that point, you build a mission and a strategy that says, this is our vision, this is our mission, and these are objectives and goals that are going to come out of this mission, our why and our how. And we are we are absolutely firm on that, passionate pursuers of mission organ, of being a mission organization. Then you start to build your organization and your leadership team around that. So the mission is critical. So that's number one of how Lifetime has done it. But I'll give you four words. It's mission, mindset, service, action. So that mission is critical. Then the mindset, you need to cast and hire to the mission. Find the people that are going to want to be mission-minded. So we cast, we choose we certify. We don't want to just train you. Hey, you went through the class. Congratulations. I want to know that you know how to treat a member. I want to know that if I go into a club in Birmingham, Alabama, or in Laguna in California, or up here in Minneapolis in our hometown, when you walk in, your front desk 
member service uh, person is going to greet you the same way with the same level of interest and passion in who you are. Why? Because we have a mission. And our mission says that we're going to be friendly and inviting. And how do we do that? We cast, we choose, and we certify people to be able to do it the lifetime way. Then we remind people of why we serve. It's not about service, right? A lot of organizations can allow you to serve. But what we say is we serve from an altruistic point of view. Altruism is the idea of we give because giving is worth doing. We believe that Lifetime has a missional cause. Like, we're not just trying to build a product. We're literally changing lives. And we remind people of that. And we hire towards that. We want people that are almost like zealots, right? Missional in who they are and what they're doing. And so the service proposition of being a service champion at Lifetime then is built around altruism. And when you have a servant's heart, what we know is the research is very clear. It's contagious. Altruism is contagious. If I see someone doing something out of the sheer goodness of their heart, I want to do something. We feel better because we're communal and tribal people right, that want to be together and rely on each other to survive. I need you, Mike. I need you, Jess, to survive. And because of that, we feel better when we give rather than when we receive. So now you start to do that in an environment like a club. You walk in, you're like, wow, there's so much energy here. It feels so good to be here. Then what we also find is that it actually makes people happier. Our team members feel happier. It helps their blood pressure go down. People live longer when they're altruistic in their service mindset. And so we encourage people to serve with a servant's heart. And so what we know is we feel better when we serve. So service is a much deeper topic than we can get on today. I'm just scratching the surface. But that's the idea of how we pursue it. And then finally, action. Lifetime is a company of action. So when in doubt, act. When in doubt, take care of Mike. Take care of Jess. What is your need? How can I take care of you? So we're going to be, we're going to be proactive rather than reactive. We don't do it all the time. We fail as a company at times, but that is our intent is that we don't want to just kind of ramble around. We want to be intentional on how we take care of our members. So mission, mindset, service, and action, and then the power of moments, right? There are some moments that are more important than others. Chip and Dan Heath have a great book called The Power of Moments, and that research is really compelling around picking those pieces that matter the most to people and being exceptional at those. And Lifetime, I think we do a pretty darn good job. But again, we're never happy. We're always never resting on our laurels. We're always moving into action to see how we can improve and be better because it's part of the culture of who we want to be as a brand. So when we think about culture, that's how I contextualize it as the you know, the chief learning officer, and then that extrapolates down into our hiring practices, our casting practices, as well as our training and certification practices into operations and our club ops. Um, and our COO is, you know, lockstep. Um, and I'm a partner of his really bringing a lot of what he wants to do to life. And so it's a really fun thing. And again, back to all the way back to having an appreciation and an empathy for operations and not allowing a border to be created between human capital and our operations team and saying we are one team supporting an organization to do what we do, that, that is a huge element that you have to work really hard for. Absolutely. So there's there's two things that I want to follow up on, on what you said. One, everybody, well, I don't know about everybody, but most companies, you know, when when they're in their infancy. It, it seems easier to find people that are passionate about the mission. And then you start growing and growing and growing, and then you, you need people. How did you, how do you keep that fire within the individuals that you hire when you're in all these different States and, you know, maybe not, not everybody's sitting in the headquarters. Yeah. Uh, so um, I, I would tell you, actually, that's where our mission was born. Um, our mission came um, uh, a couple of years after we started the company, when we started to build our clubs in the first city out of state in Detroit, Michigan. Hmm. And we'd fly to Michigan to start to build the momentum. We took a few of our team members there, but our CEO on the way back one day was like, I'm not going to be there every day. I can't drive to that club and walk in and remind people of why we do what we do. 
We have to build a mission so the mission reminds people of who we are and what we're all about. And we have to build the systems around that mission and the tools around that mission to make sure that that happens. That's where Lifetime University came. That's where our hiring practices came and whatnot. So it's that chicken and egg element uh, really is what you're kind of knocking on the door of. And we realized that the mission would be that, that talisman, right? That touch point that whether, again, you're in Birmingham or Laguna, you know that that mission is the driver. And so uh, mission was critical, but then it's creating systems. And I would say the two big systems to make sure that the process of bringing people into club operations, because club operations, they run a great play. So once you get into operations, you can't help but bring that to life, uh, Mike. But we're responsible to make sure in HR that we give them the right tools to be able to do that. So that casting and certification are the two arms um, and so you're not going to get in front of a team member unless you're sort of a member, unless you're certified and you're not going to get hired unless you go through our hiring play playbook process. And so our whole entire playbook is around the theme is bring your personality to work. We want to be an inclusive. We want to be a diverse uh, organization. So we know that we need you to bring your personality to work. How are you going to present yourself here We also have these baseline areas of transactional elements that are critical to us to make sure that we're managing our work unit climate, that our individual needs and values of our individuals meet and actually align with our transformational elements up on the top of our mission and our values. So that has to be strung together. And we do that through our hiring and casting practices, our certification practices to manage that pipeline. So no matter where you are, you're being trained and certified in the appropriate way that's going to help the culture sustain and be consistent no matter how large we get. Mm-hmm. And I know we're, we're running short on time. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have to ask this. You talked about the moments that are important um, to your guests, but also I think within companies, people are trying to figure out what are the, the moments that matter within our employees' journey as well. When you talked about that, how did you guys define what moments for your customers were the most important to focus on? Uh, customers or or team members? Well, both. I mean, I guess it would, yeah. it would go both ways on that. And maybe maybe talk about team members for the sake of you know our audience who are maybe talking more about their employ or their yeah. internal customers, their employees. Yeah, yeah. I would say um, data is critical to us. So um, we use uh, the net promoter score, which is used for a lot of customer satisfaction. We converted that many years ago into a team member satisfaction score. So we do NPS on a scale of one to zero. How likely are you to refer a friend or family member to work at Lifetime and give us the reason why? We ask a number of other questions. So it's not a pure NPS uh, survey, Um, but that data has been critical because up until the time that we started to get enough data, what would happen is, is that like any leader, you go, well, where's the biggest concern? Where's the biggest red flag? And that's not necessarily always the moment that matters. It might be the one that's hottest, but it's not the one that actually moves the needle. So when we started to actually quadrant out our the needs using the data, we started to look at what were the behaviors that were going to matter the most. And you know what we found out? Communication matters the most. Empathy matters the most. Those small little gestures and moments recognizing birthdays and anniversaries matter the most. Um, Making sure that if you say you're going to actually uh, talk to someone about their career, you actually do it. So we realized that the the big red fire, you know, five, five alarm fire bell was not where we should run. And we did that soccer herd mentality. The ball is over here. Let's go over here. The ball is over here. Let's go over here. We stopped doing that. We started looking at the data. Then we started to build policy and also obviously communicating with our leaders how critical it was that they address these things because not all moments matter the same. And so that was where we really started to use data. Um, so it was the, you know, the objective, the subjective, the art and the science. And now we started uh, really, um, really cooking. And what happened right before the pandemic, we had almost five years of year over year increases in team member satisfaction, significant increases. We're talking two, three points. And remember, HR data, it moves at glacial speeds. 
So when you're getting two or three points year over year in satisfaction, in retention, um, and seeing succession, uh, uh, internal succession grow, you know that you're really hitting on some important, right. important, consistent things across the entire organization. Absolutely. You know, what I would say is, is that, you know, just as important as mission is for organizations, I think mission is really important for individuals. And, you know, one of the reasons that I'm in the HR space is because my mission since I was probably in college is I wanted to leave people in places better than I found them. And so I found that if I could do something that had passion, I had passion for under my profession, that mission has been the guide. And that's allowed me to be able to hunker down and stay at lifetime or to focus in on mental health and really make decisions. And so I'd encourage, you know, people too that that's another area that if you can help and encourage employees uh, to really think about their own purpose and then finding how their their uh, their smaller story fits into the meta narrative of a larger story like a lifetime or another really cool company um, that can make all the difference in satisfaction long term. And so it really starts again with the individual deciding how they're going to approach the world and how they're what they're going to bring to the world. And then from there, I find that the world actually opens a lot of doors. So uh, it's been great being with you today. Absolutely. And for our audience, can you can you tell everybody how they can connect with you, whether it's social media or any other channels? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can reach me at Jess at JessUnquist.com. JessUnquist.com is uh, also a website. And then you can also look at my podcast called Open and Awake, and you can download that and join um, in any of the large uh, platforms for uh, podcasts. So I uh, would love to have people take a listen. Uh, you kind of get an idea of what, what I'm thinking and what I what I think is important. Great. Well, Jess, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.